You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. Ajit, you're big on the idea of self-awareness. Can you tell when people are self-aware or not? And what makes them stand out? So I think self-awareness is an interesting concept and in that we all at one point have some sense of awareness mm-hmm. and some sense of not awareness. And self-awareness is a broad concept. Most of us think self-awareness is, oh, I know who I am. But have you dimensionalized it? Mm-hmm. And that's really what self-awareness gets down to. So early on in my career as a coach, I thought like everybody thinks, oh, I'm self-aware, I know what I'm doing. And yes, you do. On a day-to-day basis, you're repeating patterns. But your repeating patterns are not your overall beingness of uh, response to things. Mm -hmm. For example, if you dimensionalize self-awareness, you would find that there are many levels and tiers and and ideas of how self-awareness is actually perceived or understood. For example, one of the things that you must know is your values awareness. What is it that are the core values that you operate from? What are those default core values that you fall back into to make any decision? Another one is, are you aware of how you respond or your patterns in context of different situations in your life? Are you aware of your behaviors in different situations of your mm-hmm. life? Are you aware of how you impact people in different situations of your life? How is it that people perceive you? Because self-awareness is not only about do you know yourself, but you also know how you show up in the world. Mm-hmm. So there are many levels of self-awareness, there are many subsets of self-awareness. And if you're not aware of all of those subsets, there is a possibility that you think you're self-aware, and you are to some degree, but you're not fully self-aware. So you want to ask yourself, do you know all of these seven self-awarenesses? So there are about seven dimensions to self-awareness. The first is value awareness. Are you aware of your towards and away values? Towards values are values that you tend to want more and more of in Mm -hmm. your life, and away values is when somebody has that value, you kind of repel yourself from that person. So that's the first awareness one must have, which is values awareness. The second awareness you want to have is called patterns of behavior. There are Mm -hmm. certain behaviors that are repeating in your life. Are you aware of these patterns? Are you aware of these behaviors that are happening again and again in your life? The third awareness you need to have is purpose, meaning, and desires. Are you clear about what's the purpose that you are approaching your life with? What's Mm -hmm. the purpose that you want to fulfill? What are your desires that you want to fulfill, immediate or long-term? What is the meaning that you hold for life? So purpose, meaning, desire, that's the third awareness that you want to have. The fourth awareness you want to have is your body awareness. Are you aware of what's happening in your body right now? Are you certain of what are some of the feelings that you may be feeling in different parts of your body? A lot of us because of how we grow up and so forth and how out of touch we are with our body, we don't even know how a particular food may make us feel Mm -hmm. because we're not in touch with going, hmm, how do I feel after eating this? Mm -hmm. And which is also why we make bad food choices sometimes. So how are you aware of your body? Do you really feel what's happening in your body? Then comes emotional awareness. Mm -hmm. Are you aware of your emotions? Do you really know 
the different variants that you have of your emotion. If I was to give the analogy of a piano, if you were playing piano, most of us play in this little range of anger, frustration, sadness, Mm -hmm. and so forth. But our emotions are actually much more varied. We have frustration in there. We might have overwhelm and anxiety in there. There might be so many other emotions that we haven't explored at all or we don't consider that we are experiencing them even if we're experiencing them on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. Mm -hmm. Then there's awareness of people and places. How are we impacted by other people and other places? One of the greatest things that you can do is to become aware of people and places and how they impact you in your life. Because a lot of the times we don't consider that and we think, oh, you know, it's all about our mindset, it's all about our skill set, and it's not. People and places both impact you. You know, all of us have felt this at some Mm -hmm. point. We walk into a place and it just doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. Or we meet a person and it doesn't feel right. But we ignore that. Mm -hmm. We ignore that feeling and we move on to still pursue because our mind tells us that we should pursue it. So that's the people and place awareness. Then comes thoughts. Thoughts are thoughts that you're thinking in moment-to-moment basis. These are not long-term behaviors. This is thinking that you get into in the moment. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times what would happen is we have a situation that happened in our life and that situation creates a thought in our life. And because we're not aware of it, we don't challenge that thought. We don't go, is this thought actually helping me or hurting me? Mm -hmm. Right? And we get into disempowering behaviors because We don't check the thought in that time. If you could check the thought at that time, you would then realize, oh, this thought is not really helping me. This is a disempowering thought. And if you can move from disempowering to an empowering thought, now you have a life that is truly desired by you. Which brings me to the final kind of awareness, and that is impact awareness. Mm -hmm. And that is how do people see you? Not just Mm -hmm. how you see people, but how do people see you? Do they see you as the version that you see in yourself? Or do they see something completely different? Mm -hmm. And if that's the case... That may be because you have a big difference between what you think you are versus who you are. And that's why it's a great check to always have a curiosity towards how is it that your beingness impacts other people. So you can check in if that's your true beingness Mm -hmm. or if it is something that you've layered on or you've kind of put on as a mask so you can get by in the world more safely. And the more deeper you get into each of these seven awarenesses, the better is your self-awareness. And I would say there would be very few people that are fully Mm self-aware. There might be a small percentage of individuals that can confidently say that they've evaluated all the dimensions and are 100% clear about all of these things. But a large majority would go, well, I know a few things and I don't know the others. And so it's a great discovery to have for ourselves and also a great discovery to have for people around us and clients, if you're a coach, to have them really discover themselves because... Once you start to become aware of yourself, once you know yourself a little bit more, it's so much more easier to actually change your life, to actually change your identity. What do you think would be a great question for someone to ask, someone that they're close to, right? Like someone that they feel safe with to see how they're perceived in their eyes? Because I love that you said the impact awareness, how other people perceive us. So what could be a good question? Like if I wanted to see how you perceived me through your eyes, like what would be a great question for me to ask you? So a simple exercise that you could do almost immediately Mm -hmm. is open your email Mm -hmm. and write the email addresses of your three or four really good friends, Mm -hmm. maybe one or two family members, and four or five colleagues. Mm -hmm. The reason why we get these diversity of opinions is because you're perceived differently in front of different people because of the persona that you show up with. right? So you want to get answers from all of them. And the question that you send to them or a version of this question that you can send to them is you would say something to the tune of, hey, I am on this journey to discover myself. And I would really be curious to know from your perspective, what would be three of my greatest strengths and one area that I could really do better in my life? What do you see? 
Mm. Right? What this question would do is it firstly puts the person that is receiving the email in a really interesting spot because they go, oh, three great things. And the one thing that the reason why the ratio is so off is because somebody who loves you doesn't want to tell you Obviously. what they feel that <laughs> yeah. you want to do better especially in a work setting, yeah. it's a little hard for them to actually give you that answer. You'll find that as you ask a diversity of people, like mm-hmm. if you ask 5, 10, 15 people, even if you ask diversity of people, there will be common themes. Common themes of what they see you, that mm-hmm. you do great. And they will also see what is it that you can do better, right? And there will be variants of some version of the same answer that you're going to get. And then you will be able to go, oh, that's what I show up as for a person. Mm-hmm. Right? That's how people see me. That's how people perceive me. And then you can decide if that is something that you like and appreciate and you know about yourself or something that you would like to challenge and you would like to find a more more true version of yourself that may live not in that alignment of that thing that you want to change. So that would be an easy question that you can almost send immediately. I also really love the question, how do you feel when you're around me? You know what I mean? And like for some people, it might be hard for them to come up with the actual emotions or feelings. But I think that would be a fun question as well. Like, hey, how do you feel when you're around me? Like, I know when I'm around you, Anita, I feel comfortable. I want to laugh most of the time when I'm with you guys. And it's really light and easy, right? Like that's just how it feels. So Mm -hmm. I think that that also is another great question that people can ask. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel around me? That would be great, yeah. So with knowing ourselves and also looking at our own personality and our identities. How much do you think that our personalities and identities are fixed versus malleable? When do you know, like when to work on something versus, okay, this is who I am. I'm just going to accept that this is a part of me. So here's something that one can do to find out what's really truly the identity and what is not truly the identity. So identity is very malleable. That's the short answer to it. And the reason why it's very malleable is because your true identity is very far from your identity that you live right now. And here's the reason why it happens. A person's true identity is revealed in the first three to five years of their life. In the first three to five years, you will see the real persona of the person. They don't have any baggage. They haven't considered all the fears. They haven't really understood your opinions. They've not really taken in and said what they can't or cannot do. Around three years of age, when they get good command of their language, they start actually really understanding what you're saying and start responding to you based on what they're really hearing. So Mm -hmm. that's when the junk or your identity starts to shape based on nurture. But your natural identity is there until about three years old, maybe up till five years old, right? Around that time is when it starts to change. And then you take on an identity that the world invites you to, Mm. right? And that identity can really inform how you show up in the world after, right? So if a particular event happened in your life that encouraged fear and you took that fear and thought of it as the fear to carry on, well, you will have that fear, Another version of the same event could be there was something that was fearful, your parents or whoever was around you responded differently Mm -hmm. and kind of appreciated and celebrated that fear. Now you may not be scared of those same things in the same light. It's kind of, if I had to reflect back on my childhood, my brother fell into a lake and because he fell into a lake, I developed a fear of water until recently. Like I, I didn't learn how to swim or I didn't really like really appreciate the whole thing of swimming like I just didn't, right? Because the way my parents responded to him falling in the water was they got scared of water. So while they sent us to learn how to swim, I couldn't let go of that fear because of that initial response and how I saw it, felt it, experienced it. Now, they have done better, everybody could do better, but... This is to understand that identities are always being formed. They are not there except for the first few years when you don't really understand what the world is doing around you. 
You simply are, and you are fully you. So basically, if we have to break this down, it's like something happens, and then based on the reaction that we see from the people around us, we then develop this identity of who we are in relation to this thing. So for you, you saw your brother fall into the lake, and so Ajit, for a very long time, you had an identity of what? I don't like the water, or I'm scared of the water. Yeah, and I don't want to go to swim. I don't want to go to the Mm -hmm. pool. I don't want to do any of that thing that is otherwise extremely fun for anybody that does not have that fear, right? That fear will create behavior and that behavior will become part of your identity, right? Mm -hmm. It'll build a habit and it'll become a part of your identity. And it's not fixed in one direction. It doesn't mean I was fearful of everything. It just meant I'm fearful of water. But if you really diagnose yourself and not diagnose in the sense of mental condition Mm -hmm. diagnosed, but Mm -hmm. diagnosed in the sense of how do you operate in the world, you will find that there's nature and there's nurture. And naturally, you are very fundamental identity. And you can find that out very easily. If you were to close your eyes and if you ever interacted with a two-year-old or three-year-old and think about the qualities of that child, that's your identity, especially mm-hmm. the ones that you see very explicitly. Mm-hmm. Like, So if you think, oh, a three-year-old is very courageous, our core identity has courage in it. Mm. Right? If you think a three-year-old is very fun, then that's in your core identity. They love dancing. Well, that's a part of your core identity. right? So if you ask yourself a simple question, how do I see a three-year-old? What are some of the qualities that I see in a three-year-old? Don't worry about their negatives because that's, again, that's because of them not being able to understand is a lot of their negatives is not because that's their core identity. Yeah. It's because they're trying to operate in the world they don't fully understand. Mm. So ignore that. Only choose to look at the positives mm-hmm. that you see for a three-year-old. More likely than not, that's actually your core identity. Those are the core elements of your identity. Now, on top of that, there is a lot of identity that you have created because of how the world around us has shaped us in that, which is why also people say the first 18 years of your life, you create more character than anything else in your life. Mm-hmm. It's because in the first 18 years of your life, your mind is so malleable and so mm-hmm. adaptable that you take on everything that's happening around you. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you have a identity at 18, 19, 20, 25, 35, 45. The challenge that happens is most of us choose that 18-year-old identity and carry it through our life. Oh man. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and so we carry it because we think, oh, that's who I am. But that's not who you are. Who you truly are is a three year old or the beauty that you see in a three year old. That's yes. who you truly are. Now, I'm not saying the other things that you took on are bad for your identity. They're not. A lot of those things are actually very helpful for you to operate in the world. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, if you learn how to respect another individual's opinion and slow down to listen to someone, that's a great skill. Keep it. You don't have to go, oh, because that was not my three-year-old and I had to get my word in because I was that kind of person. No, that's a learned identity. That's a good, helpful identity. Keep it. At the same point in time, if you also picked up, that means I will... Uh, always wait for somebody else's opinion and not have one. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, that's the identity you want to challenge, right. right? That's the part of identity you want to challenge. So it's a dance to really go, what's my learned identity? And what's the part of this identity I don't necessarily like? Now, any identity that you took on, took a while to take on, right? You built that identity over 18 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, depending on how old you are. And because you took that much time to take on that identity, it's going to take time to un ravel that identity, then unpack that identity and repack a new identity on top of it. So is it malleable? Yes, but it does take time, especially if you've held on to it for a very long time. And we have to understand that we hold on to it because it has helped us cope. It keeps us safe. Yeah, It keeps us into a familiar environment. There's a friend of ours called Marissa Peer. She is a fantastic therapist. And one of the favorite lines that I got from a podcast that I did with her, which is actually available on Master Coaching, is she said, our mind, our soul loves the familiar 
And because it loves the familiar, it'll keep doing what is familiar to it. The only way to grow is to start loving the unfamiliar, mm-hmm. right? And so it's kind of, I'm paraphrasing her. She probably says it even more beautifully than this. But what you're really chasing here is you're trying to go, okay, what is unfamiliar to me, but I have to do it so I can create a new identity. Let me give you an example. So about two years ago, my daughter was born. And as my daughter was born, one of the days I decided I'm going to take my son out to play because Nita was tired. She was hanging out with the, you know, the daughter was sleeping. Isla was sleeping. So I took my son Ari out to play. So mm-hmm. he thought, like, let's go out. Let me take you to the, uh, you know, to the park and we're going to go run around and play. And so we go to the park and, and we are running around and we are, we are playing and we're playing tag and he wants me to run behind him and I'm running behind him and he's running behind me. And we are playing, we are playing and playing and suddenly I find myself out of breath. I'm going, <sighs> and as I'm out of breath, I'm going, <sighs> you know, like kind of like slowed down and stopped for a second. And Ari goes, oh, let's play, let's play. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, 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 we will play, we will play. Give me a second, give me a second. I'm like, we just played, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was fun. I'm going to tag you, give me a second. And and he goes, no, 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 let's go play. Like how children are. Mm-hmm. Like he was two years old at the time. We're like, come on, let's play, let's play. Let's run, run, run. And he has insatiable energy, yeah. right? He's like, he wants to run, he wants to play. He's like, come on, we came out, finally. Like, let's yeah. go, let's mm-hmm. go do this. And I go, no, no, Ari, I'm so tired right now. Like, give me a minute, I need to sit down and I'm tired. And he said something that kind of broke my heart in that moment. And he said, Dada, you always tired. Mm. Right? So it, he went, Dada, you always tired. And that, that kind of hit me different. It hit me in a way where I was like, am I really always tired? Is that my truth? Is that the truth of me as a parent? Is that I am a tired parent? And it was visual enough to me where I went, that is not the identity I want. Not that my parents were not necessarily not tired all the time because they were working all the time in the sense of work or homework, but I never appreciated a a parent that I saw around me as well that were not with their kids, which is why when I am with my kids, I'm like with them. Like I'm hanging out with them. I try to not be on any device. Like I don't open my laptop. I don't open my phone. I'm with my kids because that's been something that I've aspired to. Like if I want to be a parent, that's the kind of parent I want. So I kind of looked at myself in that moment and looked at that vision of myself and went, wow, so I am that parent. I'm that weak, tired, much older than his age parent because Mm. I couldn't even keep up with a two-year-old for like 10 minutes. It was maybe 10 or 15 minutes that we played. And I was like, that's not a long time. It's not like we were playing literally for hours, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. And it wasn't a complicated sport. It wasn't like very high intensity. I'm running with a two-year-old. How fast can he run? Yeah. Right? So I'm like, wow, it's less than 10 minutes and I'm tired. And that was not a good feeling in that moment. And in that moment was also the time where I said, well, I decide to not be sick and tired and unhealthy parent. Mm -hmm. I decide to not be the example for my children where they go, oh, that's what you do. You Mm -hmm. sacrifice your health and well-being to become successful or to take care of other people, to put other people ahead of you. I just simply said that just cannot be. Like that's not the identity I want for me. I don't want to be that parent, first of all, for myself. And then I definitely don't want to set this as an example for my children. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those pivotal moments where I decided that I'm going to change my identity. Now I'm about just under two years in of that experience. And in two years, I have completely transformed my body and completely transformed my energy levels and completely transformed how Mm -hmm. I eat and what I do. And I can pretty confidently say that if me and Ari play today, I'm not going to be tired in 15 minutes. For that matter, it is possible that he gets tired before me. Like we have not tested this per se, Mm -hmm. but it is a big possibility that Dada doesn't get tired before Ari. And I think that's, that's something that is, if anything, that's a proof of 
that anything can be done if given time. Now, when I started, I didn't know how long this is going to take me because mm-hmm. I had abused my body pretty much for 36 years. For 36 years, I had eaten whatever I wanted. I, at a point, I was drinking too much. It was a, I was barely going to the gym ever, really. And I didn't really have any understanding of what is nutritious for me. I had no understanding of how I talk to my body or do mm-hmm. I even talk to my body? What does my body want? I didn't know any of those answers. And once I explored it, I found that you can find all of those answers and you can change that. I told the statement to myself is I've abused my body for 36 years. I can love it for 36 mm. months, right? And that's about three years, right? So it's not even been two years and my body's loving me back. And that's kind of how quickly your identity can shift. Mm-hmm. But I also want to say that because the first 30 weeks were really hard. Like it wasn't like I was mm-hmm. crushing it, right? If, yeah, 30 weeks were about six months or whatever, six, seven months. It was really hard. I wasn't able to make that change. Mm-hmm. But once I did, then there was no stopping. So in that moment, you kind of had an identity crisis moment, right? Because you could have let what Ari said kind of throw you off or or you could have been defensive and be like, oh, how dare you talk to Dada like that? But in that moment, you were at a crossroads. You were like, wait a minute. I don't want my son to look at me that I'm tired individual. So... Other than this experience that you went through, have you ever had any other identity crisis moments where you couldn't decide if you were more of a superhero or a supervillain? And what surprising discoveries did it lead to about yourself? So I think you only learn if you're a superhero or a supervillain much later Mm -hmm. than what you're doing in that moment. So for example, I think it, it comes from the famous... Donald Miller. Brand who, story. Brand story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he talks about the superhero and the supervillain both have the same backstory. It's the, the reason why they become superhero or supervillain is what they choose to do with the story. Mm-hmm. Both of them have the same cathartic story of something, some loss or something that was taken away from them. They just respond differently to it. Now, the fun thing in movies is pretty easy to identify that their choices are wrong. In life, it's not so easy to identify, especially when the gray is so large. Because the black and the white is easy to see if you go kill someone that's clearly yeah. <laughs> dark. And so, of course, that is the dark. And the light, if you're saving lives every day, then, well, great, that's light. But gray is not so easy. Yeah. Gray is where we all live. Gray is where we think we are doing something for good. But then it turns out that sometimes it is not so good. Mm-hmm. So instead of telling you a superhero story, I'll tell you a supervillain story. And it's actually recent. So as a part of my new identity, some identity that I think I took on in life and it's proven to be correct, at least as of now, is that I took on the identity that I'm an introvert early on in my life. Oh yeah. I took on the identity as, and this was mostly a defense mechanism to not show up, not speak up, not be because of everything that was happening in my life as a child and what I experienced in my school and so on and so forth and how I felt like nobody really wanted me for a big part of my life. So I took on the identity, I'm an introvert, you know, so I need my quiet time. I only need to be with myself. I don't like people, so on and so forth. Like whatever was my defense mechanism. So about a year ago, I decided that's not an identity I want. I want to be somebody who loves people. I'm selective about them. I don't want to hang out with everyone for sure, but I love people, right? And an effort to reach out to I love people, I was also very accommodating of other individuals coming into my sphere. Mm-hmm. So I was doing an event, it's called Super Coach Experience, where we get about 700 of our certified coaches come to Tallinn and we have the greatest event. Like it's super fun, super uplifting. Everybody loves it. We get great NPS score for it. People give testimonials. They want to book their tickets for next year right then. So it's an amazing event. Like the people there are just pure love. And I loved it. And I hung out there and I hung out with everyone and I accepted anybody that would bring me a present. 
They'll be like, hey, here's a gift for you. I had somebody had an artwork made out of my face. I had somebody who wrote pages and pages of poetry for me. I had somebody coming in, like different kind of gifts. Like they brought something from their culture, something from somewhere. And I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I literally made the effort of throwing out stuff from my bag so I can bring all the gifts back. Mm-hmm. So I did. I brought all the gifts back. And I kept it and I was slowly enjoying each one of them. And then because I was so open, my energy was so open, of course, everybody felt like they now own me or they have a family relationship with me. They have access to you. They have access to me. And I do give very good access. You can text me, you can message me. I will respond, if not immediately. If you email me, I will respond. Mm -hmm. If I'm away somewhere, maybe it'll take a little longer, but I make as much effort as I can to respond to every person that reaches out to me in any way they reach out to me. Even my team knows if there's a personal message on Instagram to not respond and flag it, so I will respond personally to that person. They will tell me, hey, this one's personal for you. And so, okay, event is done, everything's good, I come back home. And about four months after that, or three or four months after that, I get this message from one of the people who gave me a gift and present is like, oh, I created this, you know, they had created something special for me. Like I created this something special for you. And did you read it? And I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, I've been busy. I haven't really had a chance. They said, well, if you read it, you'll see how wonderful I am, da, 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 da. And you should put me on your stage. And I was like, I don't know when I committed to that. I was like, hey, listen, I'm sure it's amazing. I will check it out. But that's just we have a different process of really selecting who comes on stage and who doesn't come mm-hmm. on stage. And this person kept persisting every month, every couple of days. They would keep persisting, keep persisting, keep persisting. And there was a point where I said, listen, this is just not going to work this way. No. Like, I appreciate you, but it's just that's just not how this works. Mm-hmm. Just because you gave me, like, I didn't say those words, but in my mind, I was like, because you gave me a gift doesn't mean that I must, like, it was Owe a gift. Something. I didn't ask for it. Yeah. You didn't do me a favor. I thought you were expressing your love towards me. I didn't know that it implied I must now reciprocate, yeah. right? And I mean, what kind of gift is that? Like, like don't give me a gift. <laughs> I didn't sign up for that. So anyway, so this person keeps doing this and I'm like, listen, I, I'm not going to be able to respond to this. I mean, this is complete. I can't do anything about it. So they go, well, send me my gift back. And I was like, you live in a different country I can't send you your gift back. If you have somebody who lives here, I can send it to them and then you collect it. Whatever. No, I want my gift back. And they kept going at it. And now we eventually send the thing back. But I was like, suddenly I felt like, oh, when you change and when you open your identity and when you also must be ready for getting a little bit of that you're a supervillain because that person thinks I'm a supervillain. 100%. They think I'm unauthentic. <laughs> they, they've said this on messages. Like, you're an unauthentic person. Mm. I don't know why I was falling. I was like, how is this? Like, how? How did I become a villain yeah. here? Because I was just being open with my beingness and I was like trying to like be kind, generous. And now I feel like I shouldn't accept gifts. And that might be the case. Like, wow. I might actually explicitly tell people, do not bring gifts because I don't want this again in my life. And that also, like I'm debating this right now yeah. and I'm like, that feels wrong for somebody who actually wants to express their love and their way of doing it is to give you something that is meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. But now I'm scarred in my identity to say <laughs> you can be open, but not that much, right? And mm-hmm. actually there's a friend of mine who had told me don't accept gifts. He had actually literally told me way before this situation happened, he said, don't just accept every gift that people give you because they will want to give you because of how kind you have been, but it can backfire. And I didn't understand it at that time. I'm like, what do you mean by it can backfire? Yeah. But clearly that person was talking from experience as well, where somebody totally thought that a gift means 
now you have to reciprocate to me. I'm like, how? Yeah. That's a gift. So anyway, so can you be a supervillain while being a superhero in your own eyes? Absolutely. I am a supervillain to that person, 100%. I know it because they've said it and very explicitly said it. And I was like, I really didn't want to, but clearly I am. So it can happen. It's such a good point though for everyone listening and watching to this. Like you can choose to change your identity because you chose to like not you know, identify as being an introvert, right? And so here you are being more open. And just like you said, now that you're more open, you are going to welcome in a lot of different types of people. And I love how you just said now that that identity is scarred. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you do get to choose what is best for you. Yeah, and there's a version of it that you create, right? So I don't know what the next step will be of this and will I actually stop taking gifts and is that actually good for me or not? I don't know that. But what I do know is I can try to be the nicest that I can be, Mm -hmm. but because I cannot control the response of somebody else, I will always be a supervillain in somebody's story. And I need to get comfortable with that because I will live in the gray because all of us do. We have perspectives, we have situations, we have responses, we have emotional responses, we have bodily responses, and that's just okay. So I think the acceptance that is true for me when you're choosing your next identity or your identity is be okay that you changing your identity will make you a supervillain for somebody. And that's okay. Till the time you know in heart of your hearts that you are just trying to be your own superhero. Mm-hmm. You're not even trying to be a superhero for somebody else. You're doing the best you can from how and what you know. One of the things that I love saying to myself out loud is I can handle disappointing people. Mm-hmm. Because you know, for me, I don't ever want to be looked at as like the bad person. Oh, I did something bad. You're mad at me. And I just realized... Like just in the recent past, I was like, that is no way to live because then we're always walking on eggshells and then trying to be perfect and packaged around other people. So I've been saying this to myself out loud. I've been saying, I can handle disappointing people because just like you said, you are going to be a supervillain to somebody, right? Because you never know who you're going to come across. So I would love to shift gears here and call you out a little bit and hear more of your embarrassing moments. So we've all had those embarrassing moments when we thought we were being cool and unique, but it turns out we were just following the latest trend. So Ajit, would you love to share a hilarious story of a time where you thought you were finding yourself, and I say that in massive quotes, you were finding yourself, but you ended up blending in with everyone else. Oh, that happens so many times. I don't know if there's a hilarious story for it. I got to think about it for a hot. Oh, this is a really old story. So (laughs) I come from a really small town, Chaipur, right? And this is about 20 years ago, 18, 20 years ago. The story I'm talking about is 20 years ago. So it was even smaller. Like now you go, they're cool and hip people there. Mm -hmm. At that time, I wasn't the cool kid. Like I was totally from a small house, 23 people. Then I was going to like the most regular school. Not the cool kids didn't go to that school. Like yeah. there, there was the cool kid school and there was the school where <laughs> you, you went were sent. To, where you went it was to. cheap <laughs> and it was just there because the teachers would beat your ass if you don't study. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it was like, all right, that's the school you send your kid because you want him to become an engineer, yeah. right? So, so I'm in the school. I'm just coming out of the high school and going into university to that bridge year. And I joined this cool organization called ISAC. Okay. It was a cool organization because... It, and it's so ridiculous because at that time they would do this uh, thing called uh, group discussion, which was a cool thing to do. <laughs> like if you did group discussion, it was like, wow, you're doing group discussions. Right? Because this was not a thing you did in school. And I literally applied to join them because somebody said, you know what? In the interview process, they make you do a group discussion. You should just go for that. <laughs> I was like, okay, I, it's, I know, I come from that uncool background. So you can make it. If I made it, 
After coming from that reality, you totally can make it. So I go in there for a group discussion because it's so cool to do. I go in and somehow I crush that. And I was like, okay, I go to the next stage. I go do an interview, and which is also so cool. Oh, wow, you get to do an interview at 18. Wow. So I go to this interview and I make it. Right, And so I make it into this organization and they would send kids to a conference called NLDS. I don't remember the full, it was like National Leadership Development Seminar or something like that. Mm -hmm. All the new recruits would go there, right? Now we were told, hey, listen, kids from all the cool cities are going to be there. Bangalore is going to be there, Delhi is going to be there, Mumbai is going to be there, so on and so forth. Chandigarh is going to be there. All the cool cities where the kids are rich, uh, they go to cool schools, they speak in English. I was not very good at English at the time. Now I don't give that away so easily, but I was not the best at that time, I used Hindi a lot more than English at the time. So anyways, I go to this seminar and we've been told, listen, cool kids are going to be there. You might want to update your wardrobe. All right? So I'm like, okay, let's update our wardrobe. So I go to this expensive place to buy t-shirts. Mm. I don't understand about what I'm buying. I'm like, that looks like a cool t-shirt. That looks like a cool t-shirt. That looks like a cool t-shirt. There was a t-shirt that I buy which had a big leaf on the back and a big leaf on the front. It looked really cool. I was like, wow, this looks cool. And it said cool or something like that on it. <laughs> Cool. So something, like it was a cool t-shirt from my perspective. I'm like that looks nice, so let's get it. It was very expensive for me at the time, but I said, sure, why not? This is going to be the big experience because I did group discussions. Uh, so, <laughs> so I go to the seminar and, and I'm wearing this t-shirt for one of the parties in the evening and I'm walking around like a cool kid and I don't really know what and I'm- And it says yeah, cool on your sweatshirt. It's cool on so my desk. I'm like, all right, it cool. must be, it says chill on my oh, chill. sweatshirt. Okay. Not cool, chill. <laughs> chill on my t-shirt. And so, so I'm walking around chill, and one of the guys come, cool, cool t-shirt, bro. I was like, yeah, thank you. Thank you, man. They're like, you got some? I'm like, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> like, you got some. Like, I don't know what that means. I'm like, bro, what you wearing? You got some weed on you. I was like, uh, no. And I swear to God, I didn't even know what the fuck weed meant at the time. <laughs> Because I had never had a sip of alcohol. I had never smoked a cigarette. I had no idea what weed was. I was this innocent kid from a small town in a small city wearing a t-shirt with the weed leaf on his front and back. You thought it was like a tea leaf. Chill. I just thought it was a cool t-shirt with a leaf on it. I didn't know that leaf was weed. And it was like I wore that t-shirt at my house. Nobody in my house knew this was weed leaf. So, so, so I wear this t-shirt. I'm going around. A couple of people have asked me this question. At this point, I'm just embarrassed. What the hell am I wearing? So I asked one of the people in my team who I thought was cool, who had come from Jaipur. And uh, I was like, what am I wearing that everybody keeps asking me, do I have stuff? Like, why is it that everybody asks me, do I have stuff? And then he explained me what I was actually wearing. And I was so embarrassed because mm-hmm. I had no idea that I was walking around wearing something that made like absolute, like it was just embarrassing. I was wearing it because I thought it was cool, but clearly I was off. <laughs> that is one of the best stories I think I've ever heard. <laughs> and I didn't even put two and two together when you said, oh yeah, I wore this thing with a big leaf. Like I didn't even think that you were wearing a marijuana leaf on your sweatshirt. You poor innocent like little kid from this little little village town in like J4. You're like, I'm chill. Yeah, I'm chill. I, I got, I got that says chill. I mean, that sounds cool. What kind of stuff are you talking about? Anyway, okay, so they say clothes make the person, but what about hats? Because I know hats are a huge part of your identity. So what do hats you know, represent for you? So hats came into my life because of my wife, Nita, first. So okay. she would sport hats all the time. And I was like, 
firstly confused by them because I was like, they're really big on your head. Yeah. And the first few I wore, I was like, they're really heavy on your head. So it didn't feel like it, I belonged in them or they belonged in me. But slowly and surely, what I also started to recognize is when I was wearing a hat, I felt grounded. And somebody told me in passing, it was like an astrology, he was like, you should think about wearing something on your head at all times because you have a very open crown chakra. I don't know what it means. Don't mm-hmm. ask me the spiritual answer to this. But I was like, oh, maybe that's why I feel grounded. And then I started to find hats and I really liked how I look in hats. Mm-hmm. So now it feels like I wear hats because of something, but it's no, it's just because I think it's really cool. Mm-hmm. And then people started to identify any brown man who was wearing a hat as Ajit. It literally yeah. <laughs> happened to me again. I was in Dubai speaking in front of like 2,000 people. There was one person who's actually my student. He's an Indian guy. I think his name was Yishan. I could Mm -hmm. be wrong about the name or the pronunciation of the name. And one of the days he was just wearing a hat and he went to the party and everything. And everybody started telling him, you changed my life. You're so great to see you. I didn't think you would come hang out with us and so on and so forth. And he's meeting all these people and confused as to who are these people thinking I am? And then eventually he started asking people, who do you think I am? Like Ajit, right? You're Ajit. I was like, no, I'm not Ajit. I am this person and mm-hmm. and he's not here. And so next day he comes around and tells me that that's been happening. And so he stopped wearing the hat. <laughs> the next day on, was like, I don't want to be identified as you. Yes. And confuse the crap out of people. I played along for a hot second, but yeah. that doesn't work. But that just became now a thing. And I love them and we carry a whole hat bag because me and Nita both can share most of our hats and we yeah. love hats. So it was unconscious. It wasn't a decision we made. Mm-hmm. It's just something that I saw her do, tried it on seemed like it works for me and the mm-hmm. grounding of me and me feeling more present and me feeling more grounded in a yeah. way. And so I decided to wear hats. There's no other branding decision that was made here. But it's also just kind of goes back to the topic of identity being fixed or malleable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you want to be a hat guy, you can be a hat guy. And if next year you decide you don't want to be a hat guy, you don't have to be a hat guy. So yeah. I think it just kind of goes back to that original point. We often hear about finding our true selves, but let's be real, sometimes our true selves can be a little weird, Ajit. So I'd love to know one quirky aspect of your identity that you fully embrace, even if it leaves others scratching their heads. So I used to embrace it fully, then I stopped for a little, and I think I'm leaning into embracing it fully, is to be inappropriately funny. So I can be very funny, I think. Mm -hmm. And I used to think that I was very funny, but sometimes a little harsh. Mm -hmm. Like I would say things that a person might go, ooh, that that is not the way I would say it. And I stopped doing it because of that reason, because I was like, I don't want to hurt people. But I think now I have a better regulation of my language. Mm -hmm. It's counter to what a personal growth person is expected to be. Yeah. But I think I like it. So I'm learning to embrace it again while being mindful of not hurting people. Well, I just want to say, I love that aspect about you. I (laughs) always know where I stand with you. Like on any topic, for me, I would rather have you be really blunt and leave my head scratching, like, you know, then be like, wait, what is he actually trying to say? Like, I always know where I stand with you. Like, yeah, but the good thing is you know me, right? So you you won't go, oh, that was mean. Or you won't go, well, that hurt. Or you won't go, you know that I am being chill while being a little bit honest, right? You know, it's not, I don't take it as anything else but that. But say if I do that to somebody who's my student, they could be very hurt and disappointed in themselves sometimes if I'm not mindful of how I say it, Yeah. right? So I have to be wary of who I'm cracking the joke with. There's one thing that there are certain people that, 
I can say anything in like the second meeting and they all take it like a champ and they're perfectly fine and I can do that. Which is also now I have a better read on people, I have a better read on saying how to say it. Mm-hmm. Like I knew the day I met you, like I can say anything to yeah. her. <laughs> like she'll get offended probably a couple of times, yeah, but she I'll- knows how to, she'll be able to kind of be like, yeah, yeah. it's fine, he's just being an idiot. No. And you'll be fine overall, <laughs> no, right? No, but I so, actually appreciated yeah. it. I appreciated how sometimes you will not stop until you've given it all about like a topic. <laughs> you'll just keep going. I'm like, and then I look at you and I'm like, he's doing his thing, let him go. I'm not even going to try to get a word and let him go because like, that's just a part of your personality. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. It just, I have to, like I said, fortunately and gratefully, I am in a position where my words mean a lot to, to yeah. certain individuals. Yeah. So I have to weigh them a little bit, especially if it's in public domain. Yeah. Well, and it's private, it's okay because I'm only going to say that to somebody that I know is not going to take it in a way which hurts their soul because that's not my intention. My intention is still to be kind and funny and have fun with the situation because I'm ridiculous about myself too. I I take myself very lightly. And so I hope that people do that too for themselves. And that's the whole point. So last question, what parts of your identity are you consciously creating at this moment to up-level your life and business? So what I've done is over the past two, three months, I've developed a model for building identity. And it's a pretty straightforward model. It takes about a 60-day cycle. And it is about choosing a few things that you really want to master. These few things can, it can't be big things. You can't say, oh, I'm going to lose 100 pounds. Because what happens when you set up such a large goal is you will meet defeats too many times before you're close to the goal. And so you will most likely give up on that identity that you're chosen to chase. Mm-hmm. But if you take something that is a small goal, very practical, very easy to do, not very easy, but it's difficult enough, but not too difficult, mm-hmm. it's more likely that you'll actually pursue it. So for example, I wanted to build an identity of somebody who looks really, really good. Like the vision, and this is step one of building the identity in a way, is to have a visceral image of mm-hmm. where you're going, right? And so one of the visceral images that where I was going, and this was part of my previous cycle, was that I want one day to be able to take off my shirt and Nita looks at me and goes, ooh, what a hot boy, mm-hmm. right? Something like that. That was the visceral mm-hmm. image and that's where I started. Like, that's where I want to get to. That's really far out. That's like, I don't know if that will ever happen for that mm-hmm. matter. Who knows? It mm-hmm. happened, which is great. Great. Right? <laughs> but the place you start is to say, I don't know if this will happen, but the visceral image must be there. And then you go, okay, what can I do on a daily basis that helps me live that version of me that I need to be to be able to get to that place, right? And then you choose something. So for me, it was, I need to drink two liters of water. Mm-hmm. I need to eat about 120 grams of protein every single day as a vegetarian, which is hard. Mm-hmm. And I need to go to the gym at least five times a week, right? That was kind of the, mm-hmm. the protocol, right? Now, to understand how consistency works, one must understand that consistency doesn't look like you're doing everything every day. Mm-hmm. That's not consistency. That's not, and nobody does that. And it's very, or some people can, but they're very, very rare. So don't try to fit in that box mm-hmm. or think, oh, consistency means every single day, blah, 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 right? You will fall some of the days, but the thing that you're trying to do is on an average, you're doing better or on an average, you're doing the thing that you say you're going to do. So I had set that up for a week. So on an average, I was hitting 90 to 100 grams of protein. That was maybe three times more than what I was doing before that, right? So I didn't hit 120 every single day. I probably hit 90, maybe 100, 110. And that was still very, very good compared to where I was, right? But I could hit that. I had chosen to drink two liters, three liters of water every day. I didn't hit it every day, but I hit most of the days. And then I was going to supposed to go gym to five days a week. I didn't go every day. Mm -hmm. I ended up maybe three, four times in the gym every single week. But what happened as a consequence of that in about 60, 65 days, 70 days now, uh, now I'm starting a new cycle, but 60 days at that point when I did the check-in on that, 
uh, because it was a 60 day cycle is that it had to happen what I just said, like Nita actually said, hey, wow, what a hot body. And at the same point in time, I was doing better than every other day mm-hmm. before I started the cycle. So now I almost missed the gym. I go, oh crap, I haven't moved. It, even if it's not the gym, I need to move. I yeah. need to. If I just came back from an event and it was a nine hour, 10 hour days every single day and I still went three or four days out of my room to go work out mm-hmm. or move. Or I was working out right in the middle of the thing doing my push-ups in the back so nobody can see me, mm-hmm. right? And it's because now it's part of my identity. It's part of my beingness. And it sounds really impossible right now because you look at the end and you go, wow, how did you get there? But when you start with those small steps, you can start to make whatever change you want to make. So right now, my next cycle, the cycle that you may experience in this mm-hmm. podcast, if you've heard my podcast before, is one of the skills that I'm building is storytelling. Mm. It's to be able to tell a story which is more engaging than factual, which yeah. is how I tell stories <laughs> until now. I tell facts. Like this happened, this happened, this happened, this mm-hmm. happened. Nothing wrong with that. Great story still. But can I actually have you experience my stupidity in that moment, which seems like you were with me? Yeah. Can I make you feel the intensity? I think that worked when I was telling the RE story. So those are just this, that's the skill that I'm building right now. So you would see me fall enough times where the stories won't work and will work, or or things that I'll get better at for the next 60 days, because yeah. that's the skill I am building. Towards and in 60 days, my hope is that when I finish a presentation, I get a standing ovation, mm. right? Or actually, that's not even the that's the visceral image. But I would even be happy if I ended in a way where people were really excited when I end mm. the presentation because of the stories that were embedded into it. So that's kind of how you chase any identity or chase anything that you're creating. I also just want to say thank you for answering that so honestly because so many. Coaches don't really share out loud what they're currently working on. So I think it's really important that your audience, your listeners, and your viewers see that, hey, Ajit, who's already mastered so many things, who's you know spoken in front of 2,000 people, even he's still working on you know these different things in your life that you want to create. So thank you so much for being so open about that. Absolutely.